As this year unfolded, we've been looking at what it means to make our business feel easier. And in part, this is a, a project that looks at not just what's right in front of us this year, but the next 20 years. I've been an entrepreneur for almost 22 years. So I look back at the last 20, the first two, just trying to figure it out, just trying to scramble and go to some clarity. But the next 20, a number of different business models. We tried software. We've done a variety of things with services and agency businesses. And the next 20 is going to be easier. So in part, this is my own exploration of how that would be for me. And what's come to me in our experiment so far this year is how much whatever happens in the future will be so much a reflection of my awareness of myself in the present and my awareness of what came before. So this is going to be a conversation about self-awareness. I want to say in business, but I don't think you have to. It's self-awareness for who you are as a person. And you show up as a business leader, a father, a mother, a sister. A friend, partner. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Welcome to the Easier Business Podcast. I'm co-host Abigail Pittman, the Gen Z daughter and colleague of a Gen X father and veteran e-commerce entrepreneur in Austin, Texas. And that's me, Patrick Pittman. If you're wanting less grind, more flow, or you wonder about finding your groove or work. Maybe you're tired of playing poker with your customers. Or maybe you're like me, early on in your career and wishing old command and control models were evolving faster towards something that would just feel easier and better for everyone then welcome. We want to learn about stuff like that too. Join us. Another way that I was talking about it a few weeks ago with someone was radical responsibility and how that affects how you lead people or how it affects leadership. So similar ideas, different ways of calling it. When I say self-awareness, I'm talking about the capacity for our own recognition of what our tendencies are, what our anxieties look like, what the first reactivity is that we show in situations where we might have some stress or challenge to them. This is like, how do we show up in the context of the work we want to be doing with people? If business is a sort of a platform to create value, what we bring in our own self will shape that more than anything that we might have learned at university or in some technical program. It's the way we act with other people, the capacity we have to collaborate, that will define what comes of it. And so I think this is a chance for us to step back and say, if we could understand more about ourselves, it would make the business that follows after feel so much easier. I think also being aware of how you perceive the world and how it's going to affect how you see things, how you interact with people, how you think about working with people, how you approach a deal is going 
there's multiple ways you can look at it and being aware of, of your perception and how that causes you to see things differently than maybe the person to the other side of you, person across the table from you. It can be a dramatically different experience. And so how do you develop that awareness of yourself to be aware of what those potential responses, default assumptions might be that you're having and how your perception of the world is causing those to arise and come up? Yeah. So I think I've been prompted to kind of look back this this idea of what's going on inside and who I am and what it looks like in there, in part because a friend has suggested the idea of the Enneagram. So I've read some books, tried to figure out what the right number is. And if you're familiar with the Enneagram, you know all about the, the idea of numbers con- containing some sort of grouping of characteristics of your personality. And there are other methods of doing this too, right? We met Riss Higgins in Bozeman, Montana, this summer. Yeah, she uses a, t- a system called Insights Discovery for her kind of get-to-know-you system, understand-yourself insights. Yeah, now this is a woman who's been coaching leadership for three decades. She's seen it all, and she puts a lot of stock in how that profile can really help bring forth understanding of who you are. But we were talking with her in part because she had many years working with horses. And you know, earlier this year, we put together an event that brought business people together in a context of horses. We had people from an equine therapy organization, Natural Lifemanship, that hosted that with us. And it was great to see people show up with horses who are, in another way, of building more self-awareness. She told us a story that the reaction that someone had to a horse in a round pen just illuminated so much for the whole team, the leadership team that was there watching and gave them the courage to be like, hey, this pattern shows up in the office every day too. I also like seeing this. And like, if if you're going to bring it up and talk about it, like, yeah, me too. I see it. And it makes it really hard and like challenging to work with you because I don't know what you want. And so it was a really powerful moment for that leadership team to have that insight that the horse brought up in this individual and then also to have the team be able to say, yeah, we experience this too and it makes it challenging to work with you and we're also confused. And so it can lead to some really interesting observations. Yes. And it also can be hard to get people together around horses. You know, a lot to kind of organize there if it's not something you have right outside your door. So horses are a wonderful way of giving us a better understanding of how we show up for the horse because they only respond to what we show up with. Right? We had a conversation with Maggie Kramer. She is someone who has a background in horses, but also is a business leader. And you know, she was describing while um, Enneagram, something that she also has an interest in, she really appreciates how the horse is neutral. She said, it, the horses respond to you as you are, not as you want to be perceived. She said, so horse interactions can show us a clear picture of ourselves without boxing us into a number or personality type. I think that's pretty powerful, too, because personality types and those kinds of tests and things are very popular. And there's the Enneagram as one. There's this incense describer that risks you get this. There's the idea of um, what's, what's Carl Jung's one? 
Well, there's like a Myers-Briggs yeah. commonly the, the Myers, framed. Yeah, the Myers-Briggs is another one. But not even just in those kind of typical more psychological personality types, but even just think about how big the zodiac and astrology has got. I mean, it's massive on social media. It's all over the place. It's like memes at this point. There's countless memes about personality types and whatever your zodiac is across Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, any kind of social media platform you want to talk about. And people are very easy to quote-unquote stereotype in that way, like, oh, you're such a Taurus, like, you're so stubborn. And so it's not just in, like, a professional psychological setting, but, like, there's this astrological component that is super popular with people right now, and yet they're not showing the full picture necessarily. And how do we get away from just focusing on the stereotypes of your type and not just getting caught up in that and kind of the humorous side of it, but also looking deeper and I think the horse is one way that you can be brought deeper into it. We've got some notes there, and the screensaver just came up on the screen, and that is an extraordinarily long password you have there. Security, what can I say? To unlock that screen, you typed like a paragraph. Security. <laughs> what does that say about your personality type? What are you afraid of? That's a good question. You know, you, you talk about horoscopes and and social media, and I think there's a fair amount of people are trying to figure you out, right? The other person, especially in a relationship, or they're dating, or they're trying to be like it's like gaining an edge of if I can understand what kind of quote, what's her sign, then I can. I can know better what to say, or I can, you know, run the other direction because we'll never be a match. And I think there's an aspect to being aware of the archetype, so to speak, that personality shows up in, in the way that we have to relate to other people. Right? We have to understand where they're coming from and how they like to be communicated with. And I think that's a lot of what, say, Insights Discovery, as I've seen implemented in other businesses where they kind of put it forth as, when you're on a team... You want to be able to talk to everyone on your team in the language that they are best you know, suited to understand. Yeah. And that's practical. And it's not quite what I'm talking about here. So I'll give you an example of wanting to really better understand yourself. I had a situation come up where I was invited to go on a retreat but not just any retreat. It's a silent retreat. So there'd be no talking. And for how many days? Five. So it's not like a weekend or like a single day silent retreat. Like five days of nothing. And what you have left is just yourself. Which I mean, I felt in many respects I was like so busy leading up to when the retreat began that I didn't imagine too much about what it would be like. I showed up a little bit like a beginner, not imagining too much about what would happen. I mean, not even that. You got there kind of late, didn't you? Because you were so busy getting everything done before you left that you kind of like are screeching in at the last minute like, all right, I'm here. Time to be silent. I spent the whole day sending off emails, having meetings, giving phone calls, like all kinds of stuff, right? I did, yeah, skid, <laughs> sliding into a stop in the parking lot and jumped out uh, just in time, a little bit late. <laughs> and what 
It's like rushing late to yoga class. You're like, I'm going to go have a calm, relaxing yoga class, and I'm screeching into the parking lot. <laughs> what, I, what I learned once I got there is that there would be no instruction and no what, what was called content. So I had to drive a couple hours from home. I went and showed up at this rural but very nice and modest retreat facility. There would be nothing offered me other than food <laughs> and the chance to sit in a room in a circle with people. And I found that I was, with maybe one exception or two, among 24, the beginner. And it was something where I found in that silence, all I had left was my ruminating mind. And the big challenge is to stop that, which you can do for 10, 20 seconds, a minute. I mean, not even that. Three, you know, you, you have your, this opportunity to sit there, and the invitation is to notice as your mind wanders, to say, oh, there it goes again. Okay, I'm going to pull it back. I'm going to be noticing, breathing. Then I go start making plans again. Oh, my business mind. I've got some strategies coming together. Oh, wait, I'm doing that again. Okay. Here I am. That lasts about seven seconds. I think that's a powerful observation too, though, because I think there's ways where people can view a retreat like that almost as a time to be productive. We talked about this before you left, where it's like people can go there with the understanding or not understanding, but the intent, like, I'm going to figure out my business while I'm here. I'm going to have five days of no emails. No one's going to be calling me. No one's going to be asking me for anything. I'm going to come back with a whole new business plan or a whole new vision for what I'm going to do going forward. I'm going to have clarity on this problem I can't figure out. That's what I said. <laughs> I think that was me. <laughs> Are you talking about yourself when you said that? I think that was me. I, I don't know. Okay. I was kind of hoping for something like that. Okay. But what I found instead was the ways in which the pressures of the day, working through it and leading a team, dealing with sales, dealing with payroll, all those aspects that crowd in your thoughts and kind of, they send you into the sympathetic nervous system, which is that drive to accomplish. And it can feel stimulating and in some ways satisfying. But the parasympathetic nervous system is that kind of rest and recover state it's like after the meal, right? after sex, the moment when it's, ah, oh, rest. And the transition from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic, over five days, there's a lot of time for that to just sort of ease its way into your consciousness as you start to sit with yourself. And the ruminating mind definitely was there. And I'd like to say that it, receded into the background at some point and I just sat there in quiet bliss. But no, even, you know, three days, four days, it's still right there. And then you have to ask yourself, so this is what, this is what I have going on running in the background all the time as I'm trying to make important decisions, solve hard problems, relate to people that are difficult. <laughs> and when you have that spaciousness to notice, it also gives me a chance to sort of reassert the, the intention to make my choice 
of my preference of where I'm going direction strategy-wise or what I'm going to do in a big pending decision, it's like in some ways my preferences start to resurface. And I can start to sit with what I really want, not what I feel pressured to do, not what the other people are asking for, not all that crowding in sort of other input and information. I mean, I had no phone, no music. You can go a long ways to shutting yourself with music. Oh, yeah. There's no Wi-Fi at this retreat center. Or was there? In the main office, but you they didn't give you the password, and you could ask for an emergency, which I successfully resisted. Yeah, you basically you go there. They give you the food three times a day. They sit in your room. I took naps in between, walk around the beautiful land, come back, sit down in the room. Several sessions throughout the day. In the evening, similar. So all that is to say that the idea of self-awareness is, is in some ways that emphasis on where you are showing up in compulsive or reactive or aggressive ways, you know? And so that gives us a little more insight than I think a personality test does. Although I found that as we look through the Enneagram kinds of numbers or look through kind of personality box numbers, there can be, I can see, I might have some kind of a tendency to let other people's preferences start to lead me. Which, if you're in a service-based agency kind of role, which I've been in for several years now, there can be value to that. Like you want to be responsive to the customer. You want to feel like you're helping develop and respond with solutions that they're asking for. But it also can lead you in a strategy direction where you, you end up being pulled away from what preferences you have for the work or the kinds of things that you would do and build. Or even as you think about other sacrifices that you might make just to get the project because it's better for the customer even if it's not necessarily for you slash the business. Yeah. So I think there's value in understanding Enneagram number types in the way that they can, even just choosing, it has to be a self-assessment. I think one of the things I was strongly encouraged to do was to not do some sort of quiz and have some other tool tell me what number resonated most with me, but to really sit with it. And that took, took weeks for me to really, really kind of come around to, hmm, I think it's this number. I think this is sort of where I'm at. And one of the ways I was able to do that was there's a really helpful concept in the Enneagram about the number to which you are most expressive of, but also the number that you show up as when you're under stress. They're not the same. They're not the same. And then also the number that you start to manifest the qualities of when you are what might be called in integration, which is to say more solidly coming to rest, but with more, well, integration. And so I could start to look back and say, oh, that was my personality type at a point in my life where I was under tremendous stress. 
So here I thought my, 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 that number, but really that was just me manifesting under a high stress response, the characteristics of that particular number. And so then I could start to say, oh, so as a business strategy or as a things about how I relate to problems, I can know myself enough to say, yeah, when I do get under stress, I do start to do that thing. And so, for example, one of the ways that that would be is that I go into deep research mode and to try and find the right answer, for example. That's a characteristic of one of the numbers. And that would be a stress response. Is it important to do market research? Yes. Is it important to understand your customer, to understand the demand? Like, yes. And it can become a method of deferring or avoiding a decision. Yeah, it's that same idea of, like, I need to find the perfect solution or the right answer. And so you can get paralyzed in that analysis of, I need to know more. I need more information to make the right decision. And yet, at some point, you have to say, okay, I have gathered all the information that I can at this point, And based on what I have right now, I need to make a decision. I can't spend another day or another hour looking for it. Yeah. Well, the screensavers come on again. And now you need to type your paragraph of a password. <laughs> Like 45 characters. It's so long you can't even do it without like... Oh. <laughs> okay. When Akima's on being hacked, I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, well, we have been hacked by Russians for real. So we uh, that's another episode. <laughs> Was it episode number two? I can't remember. <laughs> yes, episode two. Okay. See, that's why I have a long password. <laughs> we don't need a round two. Well, see, yeah, we see... Then we also end up having these traumatizing events that stay in our body. <laughs> We hold on to that memory and it sort of stays. Are you stays saying that with... my long password is a trauma response? <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. But <laughs> we'll let you decide. <laughs> we had a good conversation with, with this woman, Maggie. We who, did. Who talked about the Enneagram. She's a lot more experienced than I do. And she's really tuned into the horse equestrian world. You know, as she's leading people in her organization, I think she feels some pushback of, oh, don't put me into a box. You know, or maybe she herself doesn't even like being typed where it's like, oh, that's who you are. And there's a lot of nuance in the Enneagram that I think is somewhat sets it apart from maybe other personality typing systems and more than we can get into in this conversation. Yeah, I think so. It's interesting that even the, I thought of as you're talking about that is if you ask people what they do, it's often people have a hard time, quote-unquote, typing themselves with that because they're like, well, I do a bunch of different things. Typically, you see this especially so in the influencer content creator realm where they're like, yeah, I might make YouTube videos, I might do Instagram, but I also have a collection with this company and I have this thing going on and this thing going on. So they have a very hard time describing themselves or typing themselves, even if at, at the very core heart of it, they are actually an influencer that just happens to be spread across seven different platforms and have a couple collaborations. It's interesting how that resistance to being typed also shows up, not just describing yourself personality-wise, you're being limited to, oh, you're being such a Taurus right now, but also to describing how people work and what they do for work. Well, I want to come back to that influencer thing for a minute. I want to talk about a particular influencer. But one of the things that Meggie spoke to is in the way that the resistance to being typed 
there's also so much utility and so much practical benefit from better understanding who you're dealing with and what kind of type, so to speak, they would fall into or start to express more commonly. She recently listened to a woman who talked so much about another way of perceiving how people are interacting with you, how to detect body language signals. This was a former DEA or FBI agent, right? Yeah, and how popular her talk is right now about helping you understand how to decode the signals as people are expressing themselves through body language. Yeah. And that goes back to this idea also of, of you know, horoscopes being a way of getting an inside edge. If I knew what your sign was, I could better deal with you. Now, I think there is something to be said for understanding when we encounter people in, in some sort of business context or even personal if we have more awareness of these sort of types or archetypes of what people are coming from, it can help us. But again, I want to turn the mirror back to ourself and not so much about saying, oh, that's your type. You know, I think one of the things I was, I was told to say about the Enneagram was never to speak about someone else as saying that's their number. Now, they might speak it themselves, but certainly not to make that judgment call for somebody else. I'd kind of like to break that rule right now, though. <laughs> I'd like to play a clip from an influencer and talk about that Enneagram type and see what it's an interesting contrast or comparison to some of the ideas we've been talking about in this easier business thread. Let's play a clip. This is Andrew Tate. Perhaps one of the most popular influencers, speakers on all the social media channels, who in the last, you know, recently was ejected, canceled from just about all of them. And he has a huge following of people who want to be learning business wisdom from him. And make money like he has. Right. It's an extraordinary level of wealth is what they're trying to replicate. Right. And so he has, for example, something called Hustle University. As far as I understand, there are 65,000 paying monthly members taking his classes and lessons and learning how to hustle in business. He also has another one called The War Room, which is that also a, a class course kind of thing, or is it something else? It's a smaller mastermind. So maybe there's hundreds in that group, whereas there's 65,000 in the larger one. So a man who's making and shaping our perception of how to do business. And so as we listen to this clip, step back a little bit from him as a person and just, I want to do a little bit meta and say what is sort of the type or characteristic or what are we seeing as far as the attitudes or perceptions expressed here what's the perception of the world that's being displayed with how he communicates right I think the world is a violent place I think there's violence all around us I think that I view the world in a violent way and I, I don't mean that in a negative context. I say a lot of things and people take them as negative, but I see them as positive, right? Mm. Like I say I'm an angry person and people imagine me to be like unhappy. Yeah. I'm super happy, but I'm angry. Angry is motivating to me. So I'm an angry guy, but I'm a happy guy. And I see the world as a violent place. I've always seen it as a violent place. If, if, you, if most people look at a tree, they see a beautiful tree, right? If I look at a big, strong, beautiful tree, I think he must have fucked up every other little sapling around him. He, he took all the water, took all the nutrients. He destroyed them all. There was once 20 trees and all 19 are dead. And they got one tree left. The big G. Top G tree. One, one. Top tree. <laughs> Tate. <laughs> that, 
That's it. That's violence. Violence got him there, right? He destroyed his enemy. That's how he got to the top. You see a beautiful tree. I see violence. Now, this is also coming from a man who was a European kickboxing champion. So before he became a famous business mentor and leader and influencer, he was literally in combat sports, which I can respect. Yeah, I can think this may be said for combat sports generally, but also athletic performance where there's a sense of conquering. But there's also something underneath there that suggests a mindset and understanding about business that's being passed on to many tens of thousands, hundreds of millions of people who follow that idea. Yeah. The idea of seeing the world as violent or how it's a war room. I mean, you can go to war, but it's not going to be an easy thing. It's not going to be a path that's going to yield a feeling of rest or satiation or the sense that you can do that over the long term. So I'm looking for the next 20 years and how I live my business uh, life. Going to war is not really going to be a strategy. In some ways, it's kind of a young man's strategy. But there's also something there that Aside from him being relatively a young and relatively inexperienced man, there's also a way of perceiving and thinking about how you can be effective in the world. And there's an Enneagram number that kind of shows up with those characteristics. It's a number eight. It's kind of a sense of that's the conquering. I'm going to to go and claim what I want. Let me give him a second longer. You want to hear Something more? You understand. <laughs> and that's the, that's the true nature of the universe. You have to learn that you, you have to take things from other people. And by taking it, I'm not saying go rob a bank. I'm not saying that. I'm saying com- completely the opposite. You can be a philanthropist. I'm taking money from everyone inside of hate you, but I'm changing their lives. It's a good thing. You can take money in a positive way. Most people don't look at, the li- look at life that way. And when you look at life that way, you need to start identifying one of the things we teach inside of hate you is to identify every single time your money is taken from you. So I say this to people, I say for the next two weeks, every time you spend money, even if it's a pound, write down how they got it from you. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, all right, cool. You're walking down the street. You're going to Starbucks. You buy a coffee. Why did they take your money? Well, I wanted coffee. Yeah, but how? Okay, you wanted coffee, right? Cool. Did you only want a coffee because you saw Starbucks or did you want a coffee beforehand? Why did you want their coffee and not another coffee? Did you buy a cake as well? Why did you buy a cake? All right, cool. So now you identified how they took your money. Then realize how they could have took more of your money. So he begins that by speaking to the nature of the universe. Drawing huge, you know, broad wisdom to, in, inside here. Like, this is the way things are. And it... The analogy of the tree, in many respects, couldn't be more wrong. I just came back from Aspen last weekend. This is October, the peak of the golden Aspen color change in the Rocky Mountains. It's probably one of the best times to be there. <laughs> if we're going to go to Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why they planned the wedding. So <laughs> there was, It was intentional, I'm sure. And the hillsides are not just thousands and thousands of aspen trees. But I actually asked you to look this up, and what did you find? So this is actually in Utah, I believe, not Colorado, but it is 
has to do with aspen trees, where the single largest living organism on the planet, basically, is it's called the Pando Aspen Grove. Yeah, South Central Utah. And it's actually a single organism, as that would suggest. It's made up of 47,000 aspen trees that are actually the same tree and are just clones of a single individual root system. And like when you, when you think about the scale of that and the size of that, I, I mean, it's incredible. It's massive. We're not just talking about like one hillside here, are we? No. It's worth then saying that man is approaching building his business empire from that perspective. And that's going to prompt choices in what kind of people he hires. Like, what's one one choice? He has no women in his company. At all. None. Won't do it. (laughs) Won't do it. So... So you can see that at some point, that's going to pinch. That's going to be a a huge gap in what his customers and what his business organization could be in terms of offering the world. And his perception of that is, well, that's the way the world works and that's how I want to do it. But is he aware of how those underlying assumptions came to be formed? What was it that sort of led to those strong convictions you heard? And how does it affect how he thinks about business deals or the people he works with, how he is and interacts with his team as a manager and leader, and also just his customers? Because in a way, he's kind of presenting himself as this leader-type figure of like, come learn from me. I will show you what I've done. Come sit by my fireplace, and I will spew my wisdom to you and show you how to make the money that I have. It's going to ripple down to other people, and so that kind of awareness of, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, or this is how I think and how it affects the people around me. Yeah. So later in that interview, I mean, in the context for it is a discussion um, reveals the truth about money, power, and wealth. And so the interviewer is very keen to learn. And one of the things he explains is in this 65,000-person paid membership organization that he runs, teaching how to run and hustle in business, 18 different strategies or business models. But if you, for example, put your membership on pause, if you cancel, he has a policy that his team will seek out your email address and unsubscribe you from the newsletter, the free version even, the paid version. Of course, the billing will stop, but they will actively put you on a blacklist and you will be not be able to subscribe to anything in the future. Can never come back. Right. Now, he justifies that with a statement saying he doesn't tolerate quitters. If you cancel, you're a quitter. Doesn't want to be around quitters. Which again is another interesting pattern to get to dig into because I think there actually is a case to be made for positive quitting. There are some instances and cases where it is actually the right decision to quit. I have had personal experience with it, but also it's you can look into the idea and term positive quitting and read about it. I've never heard of that before. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's a thing. Okay. Write that down. 
Well, I know about it. You're the one who needs to write it down. Write that down. Positive quitting. But I think what's I bring it up because the cancellation process. You know, if we're in a one of our businesses helps train customer service people, and have this attuned CX kind of method for doing so, and there's a lot to be learned when someone says no more, I'm done, I want a refund, and that's the sort of most precious moment of understanding in the business context how to make either draw some conclusion that yes, for good reason, get you know good riddance. Or for hugely impactful feedback that can make that offer and the membership and the program or the product, whatever it is, so much more valuable. But it's a real learning opportunity for yeah. the company if you can let it. Yeah. So I, I'm not so much saying that. So if this is a conversation about self awareness, as the leader of that organization, there is something that probably feels to paraphrase someone you and I both know, very tender underneath that. Yeah. The, the feeling of being canceled or rejected by a customer is so tender that the reaction to it is over the top. Not just refund the money, but blacklist them across all of our mailing lists. They can never come back. And you can be sure that, you know, however rarely that happens or often happens, it's more impactful for the people who work in that organization, right? Because everyone who works there, I'm sure, knows that. It's a very clear policy. And it's kind of like, oh, you know, put up, so put up the, the hand and say, no. And that will play itself out across that business for, for years to come. Because the leader of the organization feels so tender and somewhat protective or resistant or wanting to distance himself from that momentary feeling of rejection. Yeah. And, and I would say covers it up with bravado, with... By saying you're a quitter. So that's a self-awareness moment, right? I could imagine putting Andrew Tate into a round pen with a horse. And just having the neutral experience of how the horse shows up. Not understanding English, right? But understanding the energy and the presence that comes and what you could learn about yourself. So these are the kind of things that when we talk about self-awareness, I guess it's a specific example of how it can show up. And, and for my own sake, you know, after this silent retreat, I didn't walk out the door after five days with this like brand new lease on life. But in the days and the weeks since, it's been about three weeks since recording this now, the insights, the understanding about why I've made certain decisions, things that were, you know, in some ways made it harder for myself in the past, it's like starting to become like, I can't help but not see it. We've had conversations about it since that's causing us to rethink or question how we're doing things now and how we can change it going forward. As we realize, as you've realized in some ways, oh, this is a pattern that I've had. And this is why certain things have been harder than they otherwise might have been if I had a different pattern. 
Yeah, and so it's not even that I have powerful new insights as to the answer, but I feel more receptive even to the ideas of people on the team. Yeah. Well, the first step in a lot of ways is just the awareness, right? Once you're aware of something, it opens the door up for possible solutions, whether it comes from you yourself or people on the team or an outside mentor or something that you learn somewhere else. Like it's just that first step of awareness is a powerful first step and an important one. Yeah. And so now I feel even more able to take in powerful, compelling, maybe just obvious ideas that people on my team are, or had been bringing to me. Where in some spaces before, I just I couldn't hear it. And that's going to lead to a kind of a collaboration conversation that is going to be much more, more valuable, right? If the business is about a platform to create value, I feel more spaciousness around listening. And that reminds me of, we don't have time to get into it now, but that reminds me of an episode from an Apple TV show that you're talking about where there's an in- Indonesian architect and he talks about that power of togetherness, how together is better. Yeah, that's, that's what's his name. It's Real Rich and the last name is spelled S-J-A-R-I-E-F. We'll put it in the show notes. But that documentary about how he's developed this business as an architecture firm is such a contrast to the Andrew Tate clip we and just played. polar opposites, I'd say. And totally different attitude. We're going to play a few clips. Here's one. I want to have a dream that both of us can pursue. And Lorencia, she always said, it's up to me. But in my mindset, it's not about me. It's all about us together. So when I came back, I started an architecture office in the home of my father and mother. So what he just said there was, in my mindset, it's not all about me. It's about us together. At this point, he's got about maybe 40, when we recorded about 40 people working for him in his firm. And there's this collaboration sort of continuing. We've talked about some previous episodes where if you sort of look from the scale of moving from the left to the right on this sort of x-axis, if you imagine this, there's people for whom they have this sense of, well, life's hard or life sucks. And that's a certain kind of frame of mind and experience that is a really hard place to be, right? Mm -hmm. If you move to the right on that continuum, you get people who say things like, oh, I'm great. I'm great. And I belong to some different organizations and forums and entrepreneurs groups and so on. And I can see that there are people who will make posts in there. And that's the underlying message that's coming through. Let me tell you about how great I am in my business accomplishment. I sold my first company Mm -hmm. and here's how I did it. Ask me anything. (laughs) Yeah. Now you move a little bit more down the the x-axis and you get to the point of people's mindset being more like it's more like we're great in the sense that that we're, we, is kind of tightly drawn around, maybe it's just us in the company, and then there's them, the outside world. It's more as a circle as opposed to an individual point of you, the single individual. But it's still us versus them kind of mentality. Yeah. Then you get further and further to the right, 
and it becomes a much more broad and expansive sense of, of who us is. And you start to end up getting to more of like the bigger us. So there's this clip from Real Rich, and he speaks about his architecture practice as a cultural affirmation of Indonesia, but also an inspiration for Indonesia, a way of moving the broader society to a better place, adapting some Western ideas, but also affirming the more, um, you know, even just the local building materials and the style and the way of life in Indonesia. And it's like he speaks to this point where he says, let's just play a clip here. Lorencia, she has a way to make me grounded. She always said to me, what inside your head is architecture, but what inside your heart? Architecture is just tools for us to enrich the world about the difficulties and the joy that we have in our life together as a family. I think that's the most precious moment that I can have. In Indonesia. I always said I want to build Indonesia with my heart to celebrate my heritage with my architecture. That's the mission of our life as a human, to contribute more to other people. For me, that's the most important part. So he speaks about being in harmony, and he has this, this statement, he says, I want to build Indonesia with my heart. That's a business guy. He's just making architecture designs. And he's growing rapidly. And his imagined sense of impact of who's along with him on that platform to create value in his business, the whole country. I want to build Indonesia with my heart. And he manifests a kind of quality. You can hear a little bit in his voice. Feels easier to me in terms of his capacity to move through his day, to involve his team in collaboration. Like if we're looking at sort of like a model for the next 20 years, the easier quality that that entrepreneur manifests in the way he speaks and thinks about the kind of problems he's solving and who's along the ride with him. I think about the collaborative nature between his team and this idea of togetherness and how it affects how they all work together. What kind of environment they shape? Is it feel okay for someone that's not him to, sh to share an idea or to critique an idea and then suggest an alternative? Is that safe there? Or is it frowned upon? I'd, I'd bet that it's safe there. And what kind of ingenuity and different ideas do they come up with? I mean, if you look at some of the buildings that he's built, it's extraordinary. And the creativity is on a different level. Yeah. Does that do it for today? I think so. All right. You figured out your Enneagram number yet? No, I've not. But I will say that you talked about how you wrestled with it for a few weeks. And that is actually something that in our – today's a Friday. And in a previous episode, we've described how we have a weekly ritual of a five-question kind of reflection at the end of the week. And before we recorded this episode, I was doing my – answering my questions – and what I chose to write about this week for the question of like, what's something that you're thinking about that's important that you've learned was this idea of kind of wrestling with the problem in a question. One of my favorite newsletters is the Farnham Street newsletter to read and just the quality of ideas there and 
and his consistency and his quality is probably what makes it my favorite. But in a recent, recent newsletter, there is an idea from, I think, Richard Feynman, where he talks about— Is that a famous physicist? I don't I so. I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, but he was talking about the power of keeping, constantly having a couple or tw- up to 12, I think he said 12 in his thing, but the power of having several problems in your mind kind of in the background at all times. And as you go through life, constantly applying different things that you're thinking about or learning or problems that you encounter to those problems. And he's like, you're, you'll be amazed at the kind of insights or new discoveries or things that come up when you kind of have those couple problems in the back of your mind constantly kind of in the background, not in a ruminating negative way, but just like percolating more. Well, Feynman was the kind of guy who's kind of like an Einstein figure who's like the nature of the universe kind of problems. Yeah, yeah. And so I've been trying to figure out my Enneagram number for several weeks in preparation for this episode. And it's been, I had a moment literally on Tuesday this week where I had a phone call with someone where I feel like there was a couple dots that got connected that really revealed something to me and my patterns and how I react to things and that's been kind of since my childhood. And it felt like such a clear example of this idea of wrestling with something because as soon as I had that aha kind of light bulb moment, it's like I'd been aware of these things, but I saw how they connected together in a new way. And my second thought after having that kind of aha moment was like, oh, I wonder how this would relate to my Enneagram number and how I respond under stress and wanted to come back to the Enneagram idea and with that new insight. And so I think that there's power in kind of having that couple, having things in the back of your mind. And like some decisions are clear and decisive and short, and then some decisions are made with a more kind of pondering, letting it sit in the background and applying it to different things throughout your life as they come up through several weeks and then getting the insight and awareness. Yeah. Well, good luck. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it can be painful. <laughs> Sometimes people find themselves embarrassed or not like um, – proud or feeling slightly sheepish or like, oh, really? That's kind of what it, that's really, oh, that's the number I have. Hmm. Maybe some people are like, I know, an, <laughs> there's, there's an old lady that I'm going <laughs> to gonna take her country dancing here in about an hour. And she's like, I'm an eight, damn it. And I'm proud of it. <laughs> so that's, that's also the case. People can respond in that way. Thanks for listening to the Easier Business Podcast. Show notes can be found on easierbusiness.com forward slash podcast. Is there something about our conversation that you want to remember? Write it down. Save the idea. Or tell a friend and see what their response is. What's something you'd like us to talk about? Would you share your feedback or questions? Send us an email to hello at easierbusiness.com. If perhaps someone shared this episode with you, consider subscribing at easierbusiness.com or with your favorite podcast app. We love Overcast, which you can find on the Apple App Store, but we're also on Spotify and more. This show is a production of eBusiness Brands and is recorded in Austin, Texas with a live studio audience, including Blue Dog and Bailey Putts. Thanks to technical assistance from the ever-reliable Catherine Gamboa, It's produced by Gabrielle Pittman. We hope you join us for our next episode. We don't take your precious attention for granted. Until next time, here's to making it easier. Bye for now.